0: We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Last week, we
1: started this message on the signs of revival, and we talked about the fact that when we walk in revival, God does something in us that's displayed through our giving. He renews our heart. He changes our heart. He changes our attitude towards our possessions so that we can really say every time I release it into God's hand, God brings more seed that I can then release. That's the principle of giving I want people to understand. It's not about being a duty or something that we're required to do, but it's about because God has changed my heart, I can give generously, I can give joyously, and I can give knowing my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Can somebody say amen? amen? So we talked about that. If you weren't here, you can go online to chctoday.com. You can watch that message. Uh, it's already on the podcast. You can go there and listen to her to download it, so you can listen to it in your car. Today I want to talk to you about another sign of revival, another indication that God is doing something new in our hearts and in our lives. And that is when we are truly revived, when we truly see God, when we understand who He is and what He has done for us, then there rises up within our spirit, not something we create. Not something we manufacture, not something that is manipulated, not because a worship leader dances or sings, but there rises up within our heart because of the change that's occurred in us, a true, honest desire to praise and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Doesn't happen unless God first revives us. What did David say in Psalm 85, 6? Wilt thou not revive us again? that thy people may rejoice in thee. He's speaking about worship and attitude towards God. And he uses the word again. What does that tell me? That tells me that because we're carnal creatures, because we live in a fallen world, because we rub shoulders with heathen day after day, because we take in things that's contrary to the kingdom of God and the word of God, this thing called revival isn't a one-time thing. But it needs to happen again and again. Wilt thou not revive us again? So your people may rejoice in you. So praise may flow from our hearts to you. So worship may be the natural outflow of what you're doing in us. So that we see a change in us and people around us also see that change. Acts chapter 2 verses 46 and 47 This is the very tail end of the day of Pentecost. It's being recorded here. The miraculous outpouring of the Spirit of God. 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ. Listen to it. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Look at verse 47. This is what I want you to hear and see. When revival comes, this is the natural result. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Praising God, that's the first result. When we are truly revived, when Holy Spirit comes and changes our hearts and revives us again, our first response is to praise God, to thank Him for what He's doing and has done, to recognize and to acknowledge His authority and His presence in and over our lives. That's done through praise and worship. What did Isaiah say? He said, when I saw the Lord, let me rephrase that. When I was revived, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And all he could say is, look at what a mess I am. You see, when God comes into our heart and changes our heart, and we are revived by the Holy Spirit, we recognize our own unworthiness, our own mess, And we acknowledge His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness, His mercy, His glory in our lives. I don't know about you, but I need a whole lot more of Him and a whole lot less of me. See, that's a sign of revival. When praising God becomes the natural outflow. We should never have to prime the pump to get God's people to worship Him. Come on, folks, I'm telling you the truth. No one should ever have to twist our arm behind our back to get us to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there's people in every service say, well, I really don't have anything to thank him for. Really? You woke up this morning. You're breathing air. You're upright taking nourishment. You're not six feet under. Would somebody give God praise in this house? Everybody, everybody has reason to give him praise. Reminds me of the husband and wife. The wife was in an accident. Her face was horribly burned. She was such a slender lady. The doctor said she didn't have enough skin anywhere for us to do a skin graft. But we can take it from the husband. But the only place they could take it from was the backside. So they did it. And as the months went on and she healed, people remarked about her beauty. How smooth and soft her skin was. How remarkable she had survived that accident and came out looking better. One day she said to her husband, Honey, I just got to thank you for all you've done for me. It's amazing what you went through so I could look this way again. He looked at her and said, Honey, you never need to thank me because I get all the thanks I need every time your mother kisses your cheek. We all have something to be thankful for. We all have something to be thankful for. You can tell that it's a good one. It'll go. It'll work no matter what your audience is. You see, we need to understand that praise becomes a doorway to the blessing of God. It becomes an avenue that we can walk down and come into the benefits, the fullness, the wonder of a living God. The first thing that scripture tells us is they were praising God. The second thing is they found favor with all the people. I like the way the message says it. It says people in general liked what they saw. Now here's the hard question. When people see our lives, do they like what they see? When people see our Christianity, do they like what they see? Are we drawing people to Him or are we repulsing them? Does our praise cause people to like what they see? You know, I'm convinced that we can have the finest preaching in the world and it won't grow a church. We can have the finest music in the world and it won't grow a church. We can have the finest programs in the world and it won't grow a church. What will? when God's people in one mind and one spirit begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the power of God becomes real and palatable in our lives, then people like what they see. And they're drawn to the King. Can I challenge you? Let's be a church that worships. Let's be a church that praises. And it's not about songs. It's about the attitude of my heart. It's about what I want to express to God because of what he's already done for me. I've worshiped the Lord in cultures around the world and languages I've never heard in my life and they may be singing something I don't know but if my heart is right and I'm focused on worshiping God, it doesn't matter that I don't understand the lyrics or I don't know the melody or they're beating on an old sour drum, it just doesn't matter because God receives worship and praise. They were praising God and found favor with all the people. Oh, folks, come on, let's do an adjustment this morning. I almost stood up during worship and said, hold that, Tom, time out, time out. We've gotta make some adjustments here. We need to adjust our hearts. Our expectations have to move from what we're singing to who we're singing to. That's why I tell you again and again, it doesn't matter if we're singing music from 1842, if we're singing music from 19 or 2019. It just doesn't matter. What matters is where's my heart? Who's the focus of my worship and of my praise. They praise God, and all the people liked what they saw. Praise becomes a doorway to God's blessing. It opens the door for growth in the church. It becomes the avenue that sinners walk down to meet a living God. Oh, listen, if you can't tell about God and talk about a God and praise a God that's bigger than what the world has to offer, why are you here? Who are you serving? It's time for the church of Jesus Christ, you and I, to recognize our primary responsibility when we walk into this place is not how we look, it's not how we're dressed, it's not the songs they sing, it's not the temperature or the sound, but our primary observation and our primary responsibility is to worship, praise the King of Kings, to magnify Jesus. And it doesn't matter if people don't like it, because when we praise Jesus, His presence descends, and people do like that. That's what everybody needs, is an encounter with the living God. Go back to the Old Testament. It was about three to 400 years from the time Joshua led the nation of Israel across the Jordan River to inhabit the land that God had promised Abraham, until David took the kingdom and united both uh, the northern and the southern kingdom, about three to four hundred years, depending on who you're reading. And when David did that, he instituted a new form of worship in Israel. He brought in instruments. He brought in exuberance. He brought in praise and worship and gratitude and thanksgiving that had never been present to that point in Israel's corporate worship. Matter of fact, you can read it in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verses 1-2, and I believe it's verse 5, where it says, David said to them, Prophesy with the harp, prophesy with the symbol. Prophesy it with the psalm tree. What's he saying? He's saying every time you open your mouth to give praise to God, you are declaring God's goodness. You are prophesying God's word over your life. You're confirming what God has already promised in you and to you when you begin to sing unto him. Oh, somebody, isn't it time to prophesy in praise? To declare this is what God has said. And I'm going to declare it to those around me. And you can read it there in Chronicles, as they began to worship God, the presence of God descended. Believers, Israelites were encouraged. Warriors received instructions. The kingdom began to expand. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until David's rule that Israel really possessed the land that God had given to them. It wasn't, let me rephrase that, it wasn't until David brought in a new form of worship and a new form of praise that emphasized prophesying through praise that Israel really stepped out and took every bit of ground that had been promised to Father Abraham. Do you hear the connection I'm speaking to you this morning? When revival occurs in our heart, Tom doesn't have to manipulate you. He doesn't have to twist your arm. He doesn't have to say, it's time to praise him. No, but suddenly it rises up within us. And we say, bless God. Bless the Lord of my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. And we begin worshiping him. We begin worshiping him. The expansion of the nation of Israel can be directly tied to praise and worship from the people of God. The territory God had promised came to pass when they begin to worship and praise God. And praise Him in that spirit of prophecy. Now maybe some of you in this room this morning say, I've had a dream. I had a vision. I had a promise. But it's never been fulfilled. I've never received what I felt God has promised to me. And I tell you, your response today is to open your mouth and begin prophesying in praise to what God has promised. If God said he would do it, oh, it's time to say he is well able. It's time to say man may not be able to, but the God I serve does all things and does them well. It's time to say, let every man be a liar, but God speaks the truth. And if God spoke it, it will come to pass. It's time to prophesy through your praise worship Him and magnify His name. You see, praise and worship becomes a way we fight battles in our life. How do I know that? I know that because anytime we magnify God, our problems diminish. Anytime we exalt Him, our problems seem to fade away. It It brings to us the victory that's already been won when we choose to magnify Him. Paul said, thanks be unto God who always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks to him who always makes us more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. Battles are won in praise and worship. That's why I like that song Michael W. Smith wrote. It's real simple, not much to it. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. You know what he's saying, right? He's saying, I stand in the presence of God, and I exalt the King, and this is how I fight my battles. It may look to you like I'm surrounded, but in reality, I'm surrounded by God, because this is how I fight my battles. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You need to understand that God gets excited about our praise. Psalm 149 verse 1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Maybe you need to stop singing that same old stuff you've been singing and learn a new song. Begin to sing a new song to the Lord. Verse 6 of that passage says, With the high praises of God in my mouth and a two-edged sword in my hand, it goes on to say, We execute vengeance against the enemies of God. It's talking about spiritual warfare in our lives today. We understand we win battles. We see victories when we choose to give God praise. You know, there's one thing I know for sure. It doesn't matter if you can sing a lick or if you're an absolutely wonderful singer and musician. It doesn't matter. God isn't looking at your talent. God is looking at your heart. And if you're like me and you can't carry a tune, He still loves it when you lift your voice to praise Him. With the high praises of God in my mouth, I'll have a two-edged sword in my hand, and we will execute vengeance against the enemies of God and see the kingdom advance through His power and might. Battles are won through praise and worship. There's a lot of Sundays I think, I really don't know what God thought of that. I didn't think very much of it myself. Some days you think, man, that's a home run. Other days, you really stunk the place up. But I never have to worry what he thinks about my praise. Praise. Because every time I fill my mouth with the high praises of God, I know how he's going to respond. I know what's going to happen. I know he's going to come down. I know he's going to revive me and refresh me. He's going to touch me in the innermost part. So let me ask you, what battles are you fighting today? Because some of you are in the battle right now. You're in a battle and you need to begin praising God and worshiping God so that you can see the victory you're asking Him for. Victory comes, battles are won through our praise. Second Chronicles, you can read about Solomon dedicating the temple and it said that they were all in one voice and in one accord. It's essential that when we praise, we do so in unity. We've got to be worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Acknowledging Jesus Christ and putting him first in and over our life. Worship, listen to me, worship isn't about me. Worship is about him. It's not about my outward display or demonstration. It's about the attitude of my heart that gives praise and thanksgiving and worship to the King of Kings. See, in Pentecost, we've kind of got off on track on that because we think praise and worship is about demonstration. Listen, I don't care how high you jump. I'm interested in how straight you walk. And you can have every demonstration in the world of how you're worshiping and praising God, but if it doesn't change your life, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. You're nothing but a tinkling cymbal and hollow brass. See, we understand when we begin to worship God, we win battles, but it's not about me, it's about Him. Because when we worship God, we don't do things to be disruptive, we do things to bring glory and honor to the King. And if I am doing things that are disruptive, then suddenly it's not about Him, but rather, it's about me. So can I challenge you to let the high praises of God fill your mouth today? And allow that two-edged sword to fill your hand and move forward into victory. Because when we praise Him, battles are won. When we praise Him, places of barrenness are revived and renewed. Acts chapter 8. You can turn there with me if you want. Verses, uh, actually, 4 through 8 is the whole story. The scripture in the background is that persecution came into Jerusalem because of the religious leaders not liking what the apostles were preaching and the large numbers coming to Jesus. So they began persecuting the church. The previous chapter, the guy we know as Paul the Apostle, then known as Saul of Tarsus, a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious ruling leaders of Jerusalem, had just held the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death, the first martyr of the New Testament church. And now we see because of this type of persecution, believers are being beaten and arrested and and killed. Because of this type of persecution, those in Jerusalem scattered. They got out of harm's way. But what happened with that persecution, oh, listen to me. So many times, especially in Western America, we are so afraid that someone isn't going to like what we say or they're going to persecute us. Can I tell you, the gospel thrives under pressure. The gospel thrives when there's heat applied. Oh, when we know Jesus, we're able to take it. We don't have to get out of the kitchen. We can take the pressure of the world because there's something greater in us. So pressure was applied, persecution was applied, and the believers scattered. Acts 8 is the story of Philip going to the city of Samaria. You know, I think it's interesting that this is the first place that the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached outside of Jerusalem. Had you thought about that? Samaria. What do we know about Samaria? Well, the Jews hated him. Considered them half-breeds, dogs, subversive worship. The Jews despised the Samaritans. Isn't it interesting that in the parable of the good Samaritan, Jesus talked about the priest and the Levite, but it was the Samaritan who went out of the way to help the wounded traveler. Did you ever think about that? Jesus drew a word picture of a person that was despised by his audience to show them the love of God. Isn't it interesting in John chapter 4, that Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. He had an appointment with a Samaritan woman who had been married five times and was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. And Jesus said, I've got to go for a divine appointment with her. He went to Samaria, the place the Jews despised. looked down on. You talk about cross-cultural ministry, that was it. You're talking about breaking racial boundaries and lines, that was it. He showed it to us very, very clearly. So in this scripture, Philip went to Samaria of all places. Read it with me. Verse 4, chapter 8. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And look at verse 8. And there was great joy in the city. What happened? A place that had been spiritually barren had been written off by Judaism. A place where they said, you don't want to go up there because they're a bunch of half-breeds and dogs. They don't know how to worship God the way we worship God. They're not worthy of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's where God sent Philip. And what happened? Great joy filled the city. Why? Because in places of barrenness, in places that have been written off, in places that have been X'd out, there's no hope there. It's a burned over field. It's a dead vision. It's a promise that will never be fulfilled. In places of barrenness, when we begin to praise, great joy fills our lives. Or oh, somebody, get this in your spirit this morning. Understand that praise leads us from barrenness to blessing. It's time for the Church of Jesus Christ to stop moaning and groaning about what we don't have and start praising Him for what we do have. Great and mighty and faithful is the Lord my This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. What area of barrenesses in your life? What area has been laid to waste? You've X'd it off. Said there's no hope. What vision has died? What dream? has been buried in a place of barrenness. see, I believe God is saying to you today, it's time to stand up and be giving me praise. And when you do, that barren place turns to blessing. That barren place turns to blessing. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It's a powerful verse of Scripture. It says, sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground till the Lord comes and rains righteousness upon you. Did you hear the key there? Break up your fallow ground. Break up the barren place. We just sold a farm in western Oklahoma this past week. Part of that farm had been fallow ground for a number of years. The farmer who's buying that farm... We gave him permission to go in and to kill all the weeds, so he did that chemically. I know some of you don't like that, just get over it, it's farming. And then he went back in and he worked the ground, turned all that dead stuff over. And then he went back and he applied fertilizer to that soil. All in preparation for the seed that's going to be deposited in that soil. Listen, you can sow all the seed you want in a barren place, but until you first burn it off and kill the weeds, until you first turn that ground over, it's not going to bear a single thing. But if you will allow God to come in and rip that stuff... You've been holding it. You've been harboring it. You've been saying, but this is how I hurt. This is who I am. This is why. If you will allow God to burn it off, turn it over, He'll put good seed in your life. And the place that was once barren becomes a place of blessing. But it's not going to happen until you turn it over. So you let it go. And we were out there the first of the month, and that field that he he did that to was just a bunch of dead dead weeds. Acres and acres and acres of dead weeds. I didn't go back to the farm this last time this past week, but I know what it looked like because I've seen it many, many times. It was a piece of flat ground. The soil was fresh, vibrant, alive. So he turned it over 10, 12, 18 inches deep and he brought it up from underneath and put the good stuff on. Oh, somebody hear me this morning. If you will simply allow the Lord God to take that stuff out and to turn it over in your life, you won't see that place of barrenness anymore. You see a place of blessing, a place of produce, a place where God brings fruit into your life. Quit living in barrenness. There's no need because when you begin to praise Him, that barrenness turns into blessing. What did Isaiah say? 54, it may say 64 in your outline. If it did, I apologize. Put 54 in there. He said, Sing, O barren one. You who have not born, break forth into singing, cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying you got a barren place in your life. You haven't been bearing any fruit from that place. It's time to turn it over, to break up the fallow ground. And it's time to allow the Lord to come and rain righteousness upon you until you see the fruit of that blessing. Verse 2, he said, enlarge the place of your tent. Here's another thing you need to catch. There's a lot of times we're willing to take the first step, let him remove it, but we're not willing to take the second step. See, in order to enlarge the place of our tent, that stuff has to go. We can't be hanging on to it. Yes, Lord, I want you to help me revive this barren place in my life. I want you to help me get over that hurt from 30 years ago. I want you to help me get over that rebellious teenager. I want you to help me get over this addiction. I want you to help me get over this financial crisis. I want you to help me get over this job loss, but we refuse to turn it loose. Why do I say that? Because we're always talking about it. Because we're always looking back. Listen, friend, you can't move forward if you're looking backward. You can't move to where God wants you to be if your eyes are on the hurt and your eyes are on the past and your eyes on what you don't have or what you were cheated out from or what someone stole from you. Until you come to the place, you say, I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to turn over that fallow ground and let God plant some new seed in my life. Until you come to that place, you will never see the blessing that can come from barrenness. He is a God. It makes barrenness blessing. Barrenness blessing. And he says, expand your tents. Expand the stakes. Make room. Why is he saying that? Because he's wanting you to make room in your life for something you've never possessed. He's wanting you to make room in your life for something you quit dreaming about. He's saying in that place of barrenness, I will bring blessing if you will. Turn over the fallow ground. Bury the past, walk away from it, and then expand your tent stakes. Get ready for what he's about to do in your life. So what did he say? How do we overcome barrenness? Oh yeah, he said it in verse one. Sing, O barren one. You see, when you're barren, the last thing you want to do is sing. When you don't have what you want, the last thing you want to do is sing. When you feel cheated and lied on and lied to, the last thing you want to do is sing. Sing. But if we understand the power of praise, then we're gonna fill our mouth with the high praises of God while we stand in the place of barrenness and we're gonna prophesy through our song that this place may be barren today, but tomorrow, it's a bumper crop. Tomorrow, it's overflowing. Tomorrow, good seed is coming in and God is doing a new thing. Place of barrenness, he brings blessing. Weeping endures for only a night. But joy, friend, comes in the morning. I come to declare to you I see the sun rising. I see the sun rising. Joy comes in the morning. And last, there'll be a breakthrough, a breakthrough when we choose to praise Him. You know the story, it's recorded in Acts chapter 16. The story of Paul and Silas going to the city of Philippi and meeting a few there who needed Jesus and bringing them to the Lord. And then a little servant girl who was demon possessed was following them around saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. They have the words of life. After a few days, Paul got fed up with her. Listen, somebody needs to hear this. You don't need to let the devil follow you around, telling all kinds of stuff, whether it's true or not. You need the Spirit of God speaking into your life. Come on, change your company. Paul got tired of it. He rebuked the demon. She was delivered and set free. And then the guys that owned her, yeah, owned her, got upset. They had Paul and Silas thrown into jail, beaten before throwing them there. The verse 25 says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praising, praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners listened to them. Every time you fill your mouth with the high praises of God, whether it's in this house, on that street, in the home you live in, in the place you work, every time you choose to fill your mouth with the high praises of God, somebody's listening. Somebody's listening. The prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, we're all here. Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household will be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized And when he brought them into his house, he set food before them. Listen, you ready? He rejoiced. He rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Well, I've come to tell you, when you begin to praise in every circumstance, even if you're in the prison, even if you've been beaten, even if they desire your harm and your demise, when you begin to praise God in every circumstance, breakthroughs occur. Mighty things happen. What did David say in Psalm 32, verse 7? He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. When you're in the pressure, when it is against you, don't moan, groan, and complain, but fill your mouth with the high praises of God because your praise brings a breakthrough. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Have you ever sang a song of deliverance? This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Lord, there's none like you, none beside you, none that compares to you. You are the name, the only name given under heaven, whereby men must be saved. Oh, come on, sing a song of deliverance. My God is mighty. My God is a... Do you know what era, excuse me, Moses sang after the victory through, uh, through the Red Sea? says, the horse and rider have been cast into the sea. Begin to sing a song of deliverance. You and I too should sing songs of deliverance. And understand that when we need a breakthrough, God through our praise brings it to us. So I wrap it up. Some of you are in a battle this morning. It's time to praise your way through. Some of you are living with barrenness in your life. It's time to praise your way through. And some of you desperately need a breakthrough in your life today. It's time to praise your way through.
0: Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shara Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 1030, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.